Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This very podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon. And of course, there is Egg Chasers out every Sunday without fail. Me, Tim and Phil at Rugby Podcast also on Twitter. Today's guest is a little bit different. It is the award-winning journalist Matt Lawton. Now, for rugby fans, you may know that Matt was involved in the Laura Scott story, which originally broke the salary cap news for Saracens. Now, don't worry, we're not going to talk only about salary cap. That's been done to death. But I wanted to have a bit of a broader conversation with Matt about his career and also what it is to be a investigative journalist. Matt is currently working as the chief sports correspondent for the Times, but prior to that, he was the chief sports reporter for the Daily Mail. So I very much hope that you enjoy this and get a good insight as to what it is to be an investigative journalist. How are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, good. So I I guess we'll just dive straight into it then. I mean, when you're looking at all of the news coverage from this last week on Saracens, um, how are you feeling about it? Because, of course, you were there right at the outset. I was, yeah. It was. Um, uh, I, I did. Uh, I'm at the Times now. Um, have been since September. Uh, but prior to that, I was at the Daily Mail. And uh, one of the things I did when I was there as um, as chief sports reporter was I, I asked the head of sport there if we could create an investigations team, and um, uh, and the two journalists that. Uh, joined me were uh, Laura Lambert, now Laura Scott, yeah. who's at the BBC now, and um, uh, and Mike Keegan, who's still at the Mail. And the whole idea was um, to, you know, get our teeth into some pretty meaty subjects. Yeah. Um, and um, we, we, we did some interesting stuff. And the story that Laura brought in um, was um, about Saracens. And so... Yeah, work very closely with her on it. It's her story, um, um, but um, you know, offered support and a bit of guidance on it. And um, you know, we did some work together on it. As I say, reiterate very much Laura's story and an incredible amount of work she put into it. I know better than anybody the amount of work she put into it. And no, I'm very pleased, very pleased for her, and very proud of of what we did as a as a team. 
uh, in that time that it's it's come to this. Okay, so when a story like that comes across your desk, I, I mean, was your idea to form the unit to investigate, to, to find that story, or did the story come to you and then you thought, right, okay, now we'll form this investigations unit? Oh, no, no, the investigations team was, was, was formed was formed before that yeah it was um um it's sort of what i'd been doing for a number of years at the at the mail when i I became chief sports reporter back in 2013 and i'd done you know i'd done some pretty pretty meaty stories team sky stories pretty exciting stories uh racism stories matthew mckay sort of discrimination stories yeah and um uh, 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 and you know, done stuff about Lance Armstrong early on, things like that. But what I was becoming aware of was that there were almost too many stories. Um, and so the first thing that happened was I asked, I actually asked the head of sport to find me a young, up and coming journalist who might want to come and work with me. Mm-hmm. And Lee Clayton is now the head of sport at. Um, or just rather not not the head of sport, but head of talk sport, uh, identified Laura. She was actually on the showbiz desk um, at the time, and that, that people might be dismissive of that. But actually, what that did, because she joined the newspaper as a trainee, is that gave her a very good kind of basic news background. Um, and um, and so she came to work with me. Uh, this was early 2018, I think, um, off the top of my head. Yeah, early 2018, and so we did some stuff very early on. We did we did quite a big, big story about Derby County and kind of uh, internal battles there, and then Laura worked with me on all the stuff I did on the political crisis at the PFA, Professional Football Association. She she was very much um, involved in all of that. So no, so uh, the rugby story was. Because what you do when you work in a team like that is you you everyone tries to contribute and and the rugby story was was the was the big fish that Laura caught and brought into the team. What would be the red flag with that story, which immediately set your antenna off? Well, I can still remember her first mentioning it to me, and 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 uh, you know sources had said to her, "There's something there's something to look at here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we believe has been happening." And my response to that is. Get stuck in, you know, you know, take, you know, go away and and do the digging. And what she did, like Laura's talent is, well, she has many talents, but her one of her talents as a journalist is is her sort of thoroughness and her, you know, the first story we ever did together. Mm. She was still on, um, she was still actually on the showbiz desk, and I asked her to go to the High Court to get a load of legal documents about Derby County. Yeah, because I was away at an England game uh, in Amsterdam, and uh, I knew Laura was in London, and I'd been alerted to the case files being at the High Court, and it was a case of you know going along with the case number and getting the documents. Wow! And she she was able to digest 120 pages of legal documents and put get a basic framework together for the story. She's, she's very talented in that respect, and. The great piece of work, obviously, you've got to have the contacts to be alerted to what's been going on at Saracens. Yes. But then it was a case, an incredibly, you know, sort of almost like police work, where she literally had to 
go through every name in the squad and and all the different directors and people attached to the club and and do a forensic search of of company's house and land registry and all these different databases and mm. then it was almost like a you know, like when you're watching TV and you've got murder cases and they've got all the pieces of string across the board. And that's what she was doing. And it was, by the time she came back, she had it. She had the story. It was it was all there. And and, um, and then it was a case of doing what you what you have to do. Then you have to put it to the relevant people. And, and, and as I say, it was um, my role and it was pretty minor, really, as, as a, you know, it, it, it was a you know, brilliant story, and I very much hope she is recognised, you know, accordingly for it. She should win every award going this year. So, when you've got a story like Saracens one or Derby County or anything, I mean, these things are obviously highly confidential. Uh, they're between the players and the management, or if, if it's a Derby County thing, it's all well. They're, you know, well, they're not all... that confidential because they're, no, oh, yes. they're not confidential because they were a matter of public record. They were there, the company's house and on the land mm-hmm. registry. Well, it was just knowing where to look. So, yeah. Anyway, go cool. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So, how do you, how do you then get? Okay. So, with the information that is available, how then do you start to add the meat on the bones to actually what you know what the story is? How do you go about assessing the additional information and making sure you talk to the right people? And how do you get those people then then to talk? Well, that's that's what you're talking about here. Is the is the basics of journalism really that that's about talking to people, building contacts, mm-hmm. you know, without, without sounding arrogant about it. That's 27 years in journalism. You know what I mean? That, 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 that's, you get to know people, your contacts, you know, your web of contacts, you know, grows over the years and, and you, um, yeah, hopefully people talk to you. Some people see a value in speaking to journalists. Some people don't, but, you know, as I say, if it wasn't for journalism, Saracens would still be getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for journalism, the Russians would still be cheating at doping. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was that was all completely journalism. That was ARD, which is a dedicated doping division. Of, uh, you know, there's a German broadcaster, and they happen to have a dedicated doping division. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, they they in the wake of the, um, uh, I think in particular. Uh, the the telecom team doping scandal in cycling, and then all the stuff that came out in the nineties um, about you know when all the Stasi files, the German government commissioned a report into doping in East and West Germany, and and um, and they have a dedicated doping division. So when somebody decided to blow the whistle on what was going on with athletes being extorted for money to cover up their positive drug tests by the most powerful people in athletics, yes, the whistleblower went to ARD because. They were the only dedicated doping journalists in the world, and 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 fair play to them. Um, you know, Hiyo Sepelt, the journalist who broke that story. You know, again, you know, deserves enormous credit. You know, so that you know that is how investigative journalism works. You know, you need you need someone to come to you with a with a story. You know, do you, do you think it's significant that it took? A journalist not from a rugby background, or sorry, not in sports at, at the time. Plus yourself, who was working mainly in football, to actually dig into this story. Um, do you know what I think it is? And again, this comes back to the investigations team. I, I wouldn't blame the rugby correspondents because I was a, I was a football correspondent. Yeah. Uh, you know, chief football writer at the Mail for eleven years. And actually, when you're on that 
hamster wheel. It's quite hard to break free and devote that kind of time to something. Yes. Because, you know, my week as a football correspondent used to be get a Saturday interview, mm-hmm. big read for the Saturday paper, probably be doing one or two matches midweek, doing a game every Sunday, trying to take Saturdays off. Sounds a bit odd as a sports journalist, <laughs> but certainly, certainly when I was the football correspondent, the biggest game of the week was normally the four o'clock Sunday game. Yeah. So my, I would try and, to get some time in my family, would try and basically get everything done by Friday morning and then try and be off until Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but, you know, you were just running from match to interview and, and and in the meantime, trying to get the odd news story. So I think rugby writers were aware of it. Yep. But it that's why I I do what I do and what I did at the Mail and what we, what we set up was because I could see more and more the reason I asked the head of sport if people could come work with me is because I do actually think that sports news, sports investigations, that really is where the battle, among certainly among newspapers, is being fought these days. And indeed, people like the BBC, mm-hmm. who are very good at it as well. You know, you've got to give credit to people like Mark Daly for the Salazar investigation, Panorama stuff. Yeah. So, so at the BBC. So I think it's a really competitive area. And I, as I say, I did it on my own for sort of four or five years and then said, I need some help here because... I'm getting told about stuff that I just haven't physically got time to go after. So I think the reason it, I think the reason it, uh, it ended up being, being the investigations team and Laura who, who, who nailed Saracens was because we have a role where we don't have to be in the paper every day. We can actually, you know, my boss, my bosses trust me to, if I'm not in the paper for two weeks, they know that I'm not playing golf. You know, I don't yeah. play golf actually, <laughs> but they, they know I'm not playing golf. Yeah, I'm working, but some stories take a long time to execute. Yeah, and I guess I mean I guess with I'd say a lot of soft media, you know, podcasts like like ourselves or you know um, online um, online out, outlets now, there really isn't the yeah. funding for a lot of these outlets to go and actually work on a story for two weeks. No, and that's and that's the other thing because this is the other issue. This is why, and it's what worries me to be honest. For the future, is mm. that look, journalism, you know, has its bad apples. Of course, it does. Um, and you know, it's like any it's like any profession. Um, not not everything is perfect, but you look at you look at some of the journalism that's being done. And you go, if you're lucky enough to be nominated, you go to some of these awards nights, journalism awards nights, and you sit there and, and, and you, you see the stuff that people have done over the last year. And you sit there and you see, you know, for instance, people at the time, stories about, you know, the sort of paedophile rings in Rotherham, yeah. um, Oxfam abuse of, you know. The Haiti of, stuff. Of, yeah. You know, it, there's some brilliant journalism, and and my my worry, I guess, is that as people stop paying for journalism, stop buying newspapers, is that there won't actually be the resource mm. to to do it in the long term. I hope there is, and 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 I think you know, 
you know, I would like to think that newspaper groups like News UK and, and Associated Daily Mail will still be successful enough businesses to to um, to be able to fund that kind of journalism because it's 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 brilliant and it's the only way that hmm. whether it's politicians or people in sport or you know every every part of our society and 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 not just in the UK but beyond it's the only way people are held to account half the time because I think what we see really is is that you can't rely on those who are supposed to regulate to regulate. Yeah. You know, it was it was years and years of journalism about FIFA before actually it was actually, you know, it was the American, you know, law enforcement services who, who got there in the end. Um, but it was years and years of journalism that kept flagging up problems at FIFA, corruption at FIFA. You know, and, and, and likewise... You know, it was journalism that finally brought the Russians down with mm. what they were doing with, with, with doping, and 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 you know, someone's got to pay for that. And and I just very much hope that people realise the importance of that, and they do keep paying for it. Now, you've just mentioned some really meaty subjects there. Obviously, corruption in FIFA, uh, corruption with the Russians. Um, how do you as a guy who covers lots of sports. How, how do you how do you view the situation in um, in rugby? Do you think it's well run? Do you think it's you know, essentially very corrupt, or do you think it's you know actually compared to other sports, not too bad? I've got to say, um, given how how far over the salary cap they seem to be, you do have to wonder what the salary cap regulator was doing. You do have to wonder, no. uh, you know, as I understand it, it's one person, to be fair to him, yes. who, whose job it was, was to regulate the salary cap. Um, and, but it's, you know, I remember some of those conversations that I was part to with Laura, mm. and people seemed completely oblivious to it. You know, we, we sat with a couple, some very senior people in rugby, very, very senior people in rugby, who were just appeared to be completely surprised that this was going on, you know, the, in terms of the, you know, the sort of arrangements that there were with players. Yes. So, yeah, clearly it's not, I would suggest, not fit for purpose in terms of regulating itself. The premiership clearly wasn't regulating itself. Um, you know, as I say, everyone is saying, well, we're not surprised. Everyone knew it was going on. But no one was doing anything about it. So just... You know, Laura, just... You know, Laura was the one that exposed it. Just because on, everyone else was, you know, proving so ineffective. Just on the salary cap manager, have I got this right? Did Saracens declare the companies to the salary cap manager as and when they occurred? That I don't know. Because that is the that is the that is the um, message that Saracens have been putting out that everyone was fully aware of these things, but being aware of them isn't necessarily the same as knowing exactly what they are. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they've well. Look, I don't. I don't know the answer to that because, sure. as I say, well, like, you know, we actually don't. You know, they're 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 they're, they're not even revealing the full report, are they? The no. um, the Dyson report. So, you know, that would that would be helpful to everybody, wouldn't it? Um, so, so no, I, I don't. I don't know the ins and outs of that because the one thing, the one thing Laura found particularly, and we found was that 
we could get very little out of out, out of Premiership rugby about what the, what the situation was. Very, you know, it, it, it was it was difficult, and of course, there was a complete rebuttal by Saracens as well. So it was, um, as I say, it's, it's actually what it, it, it's what made it such a good piece of journalism because um, it was a very tough nut to crack. Well, I mean, what what's your gut feeling about that report? Because I've spoke to people that have read the reports. I spoke to quite a few now, and I seem to get the same answer from them all, which is the companies are just the tip of the iceberg. But I don't tend yeah. then to get any anything more substantial just from your investigation. Well, that's, what, you... I, that, 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 that's what I mean because the yeah. companies have been, you know, the, the, the detail about that has been revealed, and yet there's a situation now where they can't. You know they they what they need to shave, and and I'll be honest with you, I've not been huge since I got to the Times. I've not been hugely involved in this story mm. because because you know we've got some very good rugby writers at the Times, and 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 they've done some very good work on it. Even though it was originally Laura's story, yeah, people like Owen Slot and Alex Lowe have done some really good work on it. So you know, I've contributed when I've been able to, but I've not I've not contributed very much. You know, I, I sort of. I tend to work on my own stuff, so yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, that's Laura's story, um, and you know, she's she's now cracking on without the BBC. The rugby guys have got to do it because it's their thing, but it's 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 playing out. But but from what I understand, you know, that if they're two million over and they couldn't address that situation uh, and 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 make themselves compliant this season, then it's got to be beyond that simply those arrangements, doesn't it? But well, of course, we don't know, we don't know, do we? Because, because we, we're we not being allowed to read the report. Yeah, which, I mean, I think that's outrageous, actually. I, I, and also, just for the integrity of the game, that report has to come out now. I think it's un- untenable to keep it secret for much longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd agree with you. Uh, and, 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 and I suspect if it doesn't come out, a journalist will get it. Um, in terms of... The salary cup report them. Do do you think that there is any scope to say, look, they did all these uh, companies. They um, you know uh, they've admitted to it, but actually when we look into it, they they all look fairly fairly commercial. And the reason that they're over the cap is basically the wording of the cap regulations rather than actually anything too nefarious. Mm. But then why can't they make themselves compliant now? Because if they were caught out previously, then those lump sums would have been averaged across all of the contracts. So you'd have to get yeah. rid of the contracts. So you know, if you're over yeah. last year, you'd be over this year, and you'd be over next year until the new contracts are drawn. Yeah, yeah. Look, the thing about it is, and, and I have some sympathy for these clubs that get into these problems. You know, it's a bit like what we're seeing in football with FFP. Um, you know, why? You know, there is a there is there is a decent argument, for instance, for Manchester City, who are currently being investigated. When you've got that kind of wealth behind you, why should you be limited on how you spend your money? Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a situation that was in place when Manchester United were dominating. It wasn't a situation that was in place when Blackburn won the Premier League title. Mm-hmm. Uh, ditto when Newcastle were challenging and and and, and John Hall was spending fortunes up in uh, up at St James's Park. But now they've they've tried to bring it in. I understand why they did. I understand what what Platini did. Although look at Platini now, um, and but the fact is, if people sign up to the rules, they are the rules. Yeah. And if you're cheating, if it's if, if 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 people are financially doping, then they're financially doping. 
So they have to take the consequences. And and you know it's it's you know it's tough. You know don't don't sign up to it if you don't if you don't want to abide by it. I think the role of journalism, particularly in sport, is getting more and more difficult with the basically with the amount of barriers which are thrown in the way of reporters. Yeah, look, there's, there's, you could say certainly when I would have when I started as a you know on national papers back in the mid nineties as as a as a sort of jobbing district football reporter, the sort of bread and butter of that role has now been undermined by. Uh, media teams and websites and their own TV channels. So, whereas you would have been the sort of conduit to fans for the manager's press conference or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah, Man United fan can now watch MUTV to watch that. Then he's buying newspapers. Yeah, but then that, but then, but then journalism, I think, has responded accordingly, and I just think it means that it means that um, we just have to work harder and 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 be. And be uh, more resourceful and, and more imaginative. And I actually think I don't think sports journalism has ever been better, because the fact of the matter is, the Premier League have a media team. Yes, but that didn't stop me revealing that Richard Scudamore got a five million pound payoff. Yes, yes, yes PFA exactly. have a media team. But that didn't stop me finding out that there was an almighty war going on within the organisation, which is now leading to a serious charity commission investigation um, and, and has actually ended with Gordon Taylor have, you know, agreeing that he's going to stand down. Uh, so it, 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 it just, it's just, I think, it, you know, that stuff that the media teams do, player interviews, that's not. That's not what. That that's not what newspapers. That, that it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah, and so, I, I so, guess it sort of goes into your point you made earlier on about the funding for uh, investigative journalism and all the rest. Um, all, all, all the rest of it, which is yeah, it, it's boring, and maybe this is the way that newspapers and you know bigger media outlets tilt their coverage now. And, and, and I think they are, and I, and I think if you look at just the last year in newspapers, you know, it's newspapers that. I think, for the most part, as I say, there's some very good broadcast reporters out there, and I've mentioned Mark Davey and people like Dan Rowan at the BBC. Superb journalists. They get their own stories. You know, Martha Kellner at Sky. Um, you know, superb journalists. And, and, and I see them all as, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're friends on the road, but I see them also as rivals, very mm. much so. You know, you have to, I have to keep an eye on what Dan Rowan is up to because, because he's an <laughs> extremely good operator. And and will you know he actually, he actually did me on a story um, just before um, uh, uh, um, Christmas. I had a, I had a story, uh, made the mistake of sitting on it for a few days, and uh, and that's one thing that that's one area where it has changed. You can't sit on anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, if you get a story, you just got you just got to break it. Now that's the beauty of you know online and. And I actually love, you know, a lot of traditional newspaper reporters aren't always massive fans of online. I love online because because what online does is it, you know, what the website newspaper websites do is they give you a global reach. You know, it, the stuff goes everywhere. You know, people are reading it on social media. You know, you're not just relying on someone buying a newspaper in the news agent to see your stuff. 
you know it just it just it just goes everywhere and, and and it goes you know it does it does it goes global because because it gets carried on the different social media platforms as well as on the websites itself mm. so it, it, it it's brilliant but but that was a lesson as i say you know dan i was actually had this story had this story up my sleeve and it was just before christmas i was walking out doing my christmas shopping and i was thinking oh i've got that i've got that for later you know, that'd be a good way to sign off for christmas and then the office ran me and said, Dan Rowan's got that story. Yeah. I said, oh, I don't believe it. Not not so, ideal. So, no. <laughs> so, 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 so but that, but that's the you know, that's the nature of the business and there's some very good journalists and, and but 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 you know, that that's that's the way it's going. And, and but I think, you know, you you look at the last year, you look at what newspapers the stories that newspapers have broken, Saracen's being the best of the lot, but you know, the, the story about Rob Howley at, at, at the at the Rugby World Cup, that was that was a Daily Mail story. Yeah, that, um, that that's a fascinating one. I mean, how would you? I, I couldn't. I can't even begin to imagine how you would uncover that. Well, I think the key with that was that the Mail actually had someone with Wales. Really? So it came out of Wales. Came out of the Wales. Well, why I understand it came out of the Wales squad, or the Wales, you know, the camp. Yeah. But the Mail were the one new, national newspaper that had somebody there. And what, uh, now, that, now that comes down to our, my previous point about resources mm. and money. They've, they've spent the money, you know, to have somebody with the Wales team, and that was their reward. Now, not 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 this, not forgetting the fact that Will Kelleher, who I worked with again, sort of, he was one of the uh, the original people that I worked with. You know, when I was started working with some of the younger guys at the Mail. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's he's a very bright young journalist. You know, and um, and he, you know, he got a very good story. Do you mind if I ask just a, a couple more questions, just about the process of that sort of story? Um, so you, you know, you get the uh, you get the tip. You've got a guy in Wales. Do you then have to approach all of the betting companies asking, do you have this individual betting with you? Uh, how do you then uncover the rest of it? I think you struggle to do that because having. Uh, we did a story uh, uh, last year about a, be- a, be- a betting scandal story, and actually, bookmakers can't really talk to you in that detail mm. because like, I, no, I don't know. I've not spoken to it because I don't work with Will Callahan at the Times. So, yeah. so I know Will because I did work with him. I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but all I do know is that it's very hard to extract that kind of information from bookmakers because of the data protection laws. Yeah. Uh, so, so you. So you basically got to find the story, report it to a regulator, and then wait and then wait for the outcome. Essentially, didn't, the, didn't lots of people know the bets that were being placed? Didn't didn't people know about? To be honest, you know, weren't there? I mean, players know, and I, I, wasn't it kind of WhatsApp groupy kind of? I don't know. I don't know. I I, I was you know I wasn't that. I didn't go to the Rugby World Cup, so I, I don't really know the ins and outs of that one. All I was saying to you mm. is. Another story broken by newspapers, um, you know, um, story we did at the Times, you know, about um, that I did before Christmas about the chief executive of UK Athletics having to stand down before she'd even started her job because her husband was uh, operating as a coach and uh, uh, as a team manager um, when he, uh, without the relevant checks in place because he'd actually been banned from teaching for an inappropriate relationship with a 15-year-old girl. Bloody hell. You know, so again, 
that's what I'm talking about. Journey, you know, holding people to account. That's the chief executive of Britain's biggest Olympic sport. And, you know, she had to, you know, she was a week away from getting the job and she had to stand down. Oof. Um, it's not rugby related, but it is a story which you've covered and uh, a fascinating one at that. Could you just go through uh, with me a little bit about the max, the match fixing um, scandal with the with the Soji brothers, um, which did with Ryan Kiesel? With the what? Uh, which did with did with Ryan Kiesel for 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 the mail. It was a long time ago, crikey. Um, <laughs> it's, was, it's just a really interesting story. and obviously it ended up in jail time and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, God, blimey. I'd have to... I can barely remember what I wrote last week, never mind all those years ago. I'd have to... You know what? I'd have to, I'd have to go back and read up. I, I, I remember it was... It was a fascinating story. Um, and I remember how how far the connection spread mm. with some pretty prominent names. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, because I, I guess I, I guess the reason it sticks out is because there's so many different a- aspects to it. There's a the Damalola Taylor aspect to it. There's a charity commission. There's a national crime yeah. agency. And then when you sort of yeah. string all these things together, you think, wow, that's a, that kind of goes beyond sports reporting, uh, really. Well, yeah, it, it does. And at, at times it does. You know, for, for instance, you know, we, we a story we did say um, last year um, which was about uh, an alleged Ponzi scheme in Kent a horse racing Ponzi scheme and and it affects you know nobody knew anything about it and it's probably affected four or five thousand people in Kent and Mm. we're talking tens of millions of pounds involved and when we first did it and Laura was involved and Mike Keegan was involved and when we first did it and we were started writing about this this betting syndicate the members of the betting syndicate who all thought their money had been turned into, they all thought water had been turned into wine, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, people that invested £50,000 and it had turned into £200,000. And some people had had their money out because, you know, the way Ponzi schemes work yeah. is that people do get paid out to, to build confidence. Uh, and it turns out the money's gone. And, oh, um, and you've got people that have remortgaged their homes. And it's now... A, you know, it's now a police investigation. You know, it's now being investigated by the police, and you know, in all likelihood, it's going to end up in in court. Um, and and you know, those those kind of stories, and, and you know, that you know, you, you wouldn't expect a sports reporter to probably say to you, you know, there was a day when we knocked on the door. The, the guy behind it is a is a retired police officer, and there was a day when we had to go and knock on his front door. And, and put the allegations to it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, Roger, you know, Roger Cook style. That so, isn't, you know, people think sports journalists just sit in managers' press conferences and 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 uh, you know and, and take down quotes and turn it into a story, which of course still happens. I still sit mm. in those press conferences. You know, I was I was went to David Moyes' first game at West Ham because I wanted to because I was he's someone that interests me, and, and and I went to I went to that game. But but we also do stuff that yeah, like the story I did with Ryan, at, you know, on the match fixing that that can take you into that world as well. Well, I just wanted to pick up on that a little bit more because. You know, like you just said then, the idea of sports reporters, uh, you know, I, I know a fair few rugby writers who, um, you know, travel up and down to, uh, up and down to sell sharks and yeah, they write the stories about the matches. Fine. Um, but then you don't necessarily sign up for all the other things which you've just explained. Did, do you ever get intimidated? Because you are dealing with very powerful people and in some cases a lot of money too. And there's reasons why they might want to cover this up. Yeah. Uh, um, there is. I'm not saying yes to ever get intimidated. No, I don't. Um, um, it can get quite unpleasant at times, but no. Um, if you knew me, I, you'd know that that kind of thing wouldn't worry me. Um, um, you know, the more aggressive, the more aggressive people are towards me, the more determined I get to get to the bottom of it. But I mean, um, but, but I mean that can't know, be. It, 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 that can't be the makeup of, of every sports journalist, if if you see, see what I mean. I mean, most of them, most of these guys get into it because they love rugby or football or something. But then to make that transition yeah. must be pretty, uh, must be slightly different. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I think there's still plenty of people that do. Yeah, some people I think would naturally shy away from what you're talking about here is confrontation. You know, just look at Dan Rowan in the car park the other day. Yes, with Ed, Ed Griffiths. You know, I remember Ed Griffiths as a press officer. Uh, I, I covered the '95 World Cup in in uh, South Africa. I remember him as this charming press officer. He perhaps needs to remember how to how to treat journalists who are doing their jobs. I thought I thought Dan couldn't have been more polite uh, in that um, in that car park. You know, I, I thought he was incredibly polite. But you know, there isn't there is a degree of confrontation in being in the car park with a camera. Mm. I get that. Um, but sometimes you have to do it. Sometimes you have to knock the door. Sometimes you have to put it to people, and, and um, that—that's the job, you know. I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've, I've 
been in near physical altercations with people over the years. You know, so so you know, well, it, it can get it can get pretty heated. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, what you're. I mean, the outcome of some of these things is, you know, someone might lose an awful lot of ill-gotten gain or, you know, just a lot of money full stop. And I think that's probably that's probably where I'd think twice because, you know, that's when it really matters to people. They don't really care if you say that they've had a bad game. But when it comes to money, obviously, yeah. you know, it gets a little bit yeah. fraught. And, uh, but, 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 but that, you know, look, I guess a lot of it comes down to the fact that it's, it's, it's what interests me. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, when someone tells me, about some alleged wrongdoing, mm. I'm interested. You know, I'm engaged. Um, I still love sport. Don't get me wrong. You know, and, and I think I've been accused occasionally of being having a bit too much of a negative view of it. I, I love sport. You know, I, 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 I went to Loughborough University as, a, as an aspiring middle distance runner. Um, you know, I, and that's probably partly what motivates me to do as much as I do on things like athletics. Mm. Um, you know. Um, um, you know, I've done quite a few doping stories in the last few years on athletics. Um, perhaps the most recent one being, you know, Christian Coleman, the world's fastest man, missing three drug tests. You know, so so it's. But I'm, what motivates me about that is that I do love the sport. Yeah, and, and and I don't like it when I think people are being dishonest. So, so you know, I won't I won't flinch when it comes to confronting people about it. Uh, you know, if, 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 if I think they might be guilty of something bad, then I'll go after them. Uh, do, do you ever think sports journalists get jaded by 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 sport? I mean, this 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 is always one of the things that, that, that I think, which is when you've seen so much of it for so long, you kind of forget or you don't realise how special the thing is that you're watching. No, no, I, I don't, no. Not at all, because, because sport just throws up has the ability just to, just to throw up something new all the time that just 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 takes the breath away. You know, whether it's Tiger Woods, you know, winning another major or the Cricket World Cup final, like mm-hmm. you just you just you just there going, this is unbelievable, and only sport can do that. You know, I, I you know, people think I've written a lot of you know, I've written quite a lot of hard stuff on cycling and British cycling, mm-hmm. but I tell you something, that team pursuit in Rio four years ago. One of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, absolutely mesmerising four minutes of sport. Where I don't know if you remember it, but the Australian, you know, the way it works on the on the scoreboard is that the the, the, the team that's slightly up, their, their numbers are in green, and the teams that are slightly down are in red. The whole way, the Australians are in green. Whole way, and then like six hundred metres to go, suddenly it's switched as as, as, as the British quartet suddenly hit the front. Unbelievable sport. So yeah. no, I, I no God, I, I've done. I don't know how many have I done. Um, I've done six World Cups, maybe. Mm. But anyway, but but you know, uh, this this is what you this is what you come into it for. You know, I, I chose to be a sports journalist because I, I I rather hoped I might be an athlete, but I wasn't good enough. But at sort of fifteen, sixteen, I, I remember realising from reading the paper that my dad brought home that people were actually getting paid to sit in the stadium. I, whether I was reading about the Olympics or whatever, I might be, but I think I was even younger. Mm. And, and, and 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 what someone actually gets paid to go? <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, that'd be amazing to sit there and be in the Olympic Stadium watching Cohen Ovet, which is sort of one of my first things that really caught my attention. You know, nineteen eighty Olympics. Actually, be there. What, what people paid to be in Moscow to be there? Oh yeah, 
And they go, what, they get to write about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was... No, no, you don't, uh, you know, I, I, you don't lose that. I, I don't lose that. I, I, I think... I think I, 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 I felt after 20 years as a, as a football reporter doing match, 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 I felt I needed a change back in sort of 2011, 2012. Yeah. But, but I don't tire of sport at all, no. And just on the stories that you put out, I mean, the cycling is a really good, good example. You know, obviously you've got um, a real passion for that and, that and that event. But on the other hand, You've been involved with making the sports. Well, not making the sport. They did that themselves. But you've been responsible for exposing some of the nastier elements of um, of the sport too. Do you ever feel when you're in the middle of a big story that, okay, this needs to be exposed, but actually the long-term damage to this sport doesn't really represent what's, what's good about it? There's almost like too much of an emphasis on the negative side. Um... question for answer um you can some you sometimes can be conscious of the potential collateral damage um you know for instance you know british cycling going through this richard freeman thing at the moment and and it and it could ultimately be something that slightly tarnishes the reputation of everyone that's competed for, for you know for the british team in the last few years and yeah. i certainly don't look at people like you know, um, Laura Kenny and see anything other than an outstanding young bike rider who's also rather charming and, and just, a, you know, a delight to write about. Mm. Um, and, you know, and again, you know, passion for sport, you know, I ride my bike with my local cycling club every Saturday morning. You know, I love cycling. I love covering the Tour de France. Um, um, and I, you know, it's, uh, in many ways, it's what I love about it is the purity of it as a form of sports writing because, because you're writing about live action every day, which you don't get at things like World Cup. Yeah. You know, because, because you've got those days between matches when you've just got to find other things to write about. The beauty of the tour is not only you get to drive around this beautiful country <laughs> for three weeks and, and you know, you're in the mountains and, you know, wonderful scenery. And it's such a colourful event to cover, you know, the crowds and the, just the racing. But it is just being able to just write about a stage every day. But I'm afraid you can't just... Some people do, you know, some people do choose to... Some reporters do just choose to focus only on that, only on how well somebody rode their bike up a hill. I can't yeah. do that. I, can't, uh... I, I, just, I just can't do that. I can't leave it at that. If, if, there's, if there's a suggestion of wrongdoing and... and Look, while you have, I think you have to draw a bit of a line under the past with things like cycling, mm. I don't think there's much point in going back. But I do think there, there's a there's a there's a responsibility to to to, to 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 pursue these stories if you're made aware of them. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, it's very rare that you go looking for them and find them. They always come to you. Yeah, because because that's just the way it happens. You know, it, it, you know, it, it's a bit like the, you know Zara High Peters at UK Athletics. I didn't know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know even know the name of her husband. But when somebody rings you, and they say there's a safeguarding issue with a new chief executive, and then you go and meet somebody who happens to be a recently retired detective, uh, chief inspector of the police, and he's actually, and he was the chairman of the club that sh- this this has happened at, and he's actually got a file of evidence. 
Jeez. Now, that might destabilise UK athletics, uh, you know, le- little more than six months out from the Olympic Games. What, what am I going to do? Am I going to walk away from that and just ignore it? Or am I going to do the story? It's a, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I think I know the answer to that one. Can you ever see a scenario or be in a scenario where you have not reported basically for the good of the sport? Or is this just straight down the line? What, have I ever just not done a story? Yeah, as in, is it, you know, maybe... Because, because, because maybe the damage might be so so severe or maybe the story doesn't warrant warrant the damage or something along those lines. Yeah, if, yeah. I've, 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 I've certainly done it on one occasion. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've done it on a couple of occasions, um, uh, and um, one was one one involved. Let's just say the chief executive of a sports team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to. I don't even want to say which sport, but the problem was it would have had repercussions for one of their kids. I see. And basically, it involved. It involved the chief executive falsifying the age of their child uh-huh. um, so that they could play with younger people at the team. Oh, wow. And I didn't run the story because I I didn't want to have to deal with that kid going into school Yeah. Um, uh, the next day. Left. I've got four. I've got four. I've got four kids of my own. Yeah, so I thought it was the most. It was um, of all the things I was. I was. I was sort of probing the chief executive on. That was by far the, for me ethically, the biggest issue I had. And I've never run that story because, um, because there's a kid involved. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I blame. I, bl- I blame the parent. Yeah, and uh, that's appalling parenting, and I just I couldn't have it on my conscience that kid going to school and being vilified by classmates for something that I don't blame them for. That's really interesting. I I mean, they're too young to know better. And another story I did I didn't do recently, but it was much more of a collective. Was looking at a looking at another potential sort of safeguarding issue in sport but there was a there was a uh, again a, a, a child involved and sometimes it's could have been the, the consequences for the child would have been more serious more of a worry than, than than the story but but the but the the person does know that I was asking questions and they know that I know a situation so, like that because you know what has come out fairly strongly in this podcast is if there's wrongdoing, you quite like to get to the bottom of it. Do you would you leave yeah. that situation with okay, we're not going to report this, but kind of adjust your behaviours, or is it I'm just not going to run this? Do what you know, do what you like. Um. Well, the first the, the first one I mentioned, I've never actually mentioned it to the person. Okay. Oh, really? Wow. No, they don't, they, don't, they don't know that I know, but I do. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, it's just, to be honest, it's just too embarrassing. 
it's uh, embarrassing that you that you 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 that someone's done that that a parent has done that. I say I've got four kids. Yeah, I would not. T- I would not tell one of my kids that I'm gonna I'm gonna lie about your age. Yeah, you should be in the under thirteen, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say you're twelve. Surely the kid you're, 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 yeah. then, then, then you'll be bigger. Well, the kid will know. The kid knows. I mean, do it. so stupid. Yeah, but if your dad's telling you to do it, mm. and you somehow in that kind of skewed reasoning, you, you're going to think it. You might think it's right. So, no, that 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 that's the that's the that's the one. That's probably the the the, 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 the second one I mentioned. Yeah, it was, it was a non-starter, really. Yeah, uh, for legal reasons. Yeah, it wasn't my it wasn't my decision. It would be wrong to say it was my decision. That was just a long start. You, but no, that that's probably the one that I've I've not acted on because yeah, I just I was horrified by it purely as a more from a parent in perspective than a than a than a um than a uh, journalistic perspective. I was just like, oh my god, you know what what on earth have you done that for? Sorry, I remember you told a story about Lance Armstrong where. Um, where his mum used to lie about him being older than he was so he could race against the older kids. I remember someone saying how that was appalling parenting. I didn't have such an issue with that. Yeah, not really. Um, um, but the other way around is a terrible example to set for your kids. Isn't it just? Do you know, just tangentially... Yeah. Um, I do think one of the you know, one of the scandals which will be coming down the road sometime soon will be, well, certainly in rugby, how they are going to deal with young kids coming through the system because the money is not there at the moment. But as the salary cap yeah. bites and whatnot, I mean, they've just got to. I mean, basically, the transfer market is going to be kids because that's the only time when they're not regulated or have England credits or yeah. whatnot. And I can see it going the same way as football. I'm sure. I'm sure football has got its act together in terms of how they manage these vast swathes of kids. But I was talking to someone from Manchester United the other day, and they they try out something like 50-odd goalkeepers for the under-8s or, some, or, or something ridiculous. Or under-13s hey, or whatever it is. I, I don't think football has got it right with kids. I think it's all gone it's all gone bonkers with kids. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, when you've got nine-year-olds yeah. in being taken, being taken by Man City as they were at, the, at one point, Man City were, were, uh, when a nine-year-old signed a contract, that's the youngest you can sign a contract in. in Nine Nashville. years old. Nine years old, and they and and and, and they're putting them in with their parents into into Hummer limousines to take them to the Etihad campus to sign a contract. It's outrageous. I, I mean, it's it, 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 it's a bit nutty, and it, and it's you know to, for a kid, a nine-year-old to be in a, in a limousine, you know, because they're going to sign a contract is just. Mm. It's just all a bit of scene, and I think to be fair to City, I think they've, you know, they've kind of checked that a bit. They've, they've you know, mm. I think it's all calmed down a bit. But because because battles are being fought over kids of that age, you know, clubs are scouting systems, academies, because obviously you can you can not only make a lot of money if you get a kid young enough, you can save a lot of money, you know, and and you know if you get the right kids, you know, they can be worth a fortune, but. It's 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 all a bit bonkers. My biggest concern in rugby with youngsters is is um, the abuse of is the abuse performance enhancing drugs. Yes, you know I think I think that's the real worry with 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 teenagers rugby, teenage rugby players. Oh, it's probably you know, you know you know you you go you go you only got to look at the UCAD sanctions to see that it's becoming increasingly common and and you can just see the 
the pressure to to to, to make that transition from being a an adolescent to a man mountain, if you like. You know, you know, one of, I remember looking at it a few years ago, potential doping concerns in rugby. And the most staggering statistic I remember was that the England under-19 team, pound for pound, was heavier than the 91 Rugby World Cup final, World, World Carling team. Yeah. So oh, they were, they were, of 18, were they not heavier than... Nine-year-olds. I think they were heavier than cool. the... World Cup winning team for the, the Morton the Morton jo- the Morton Johnson had in in the pack and that's like a couple of years ago. I don't remember that. I do remember it was they were it, they were heavier than Brian Moore, Jeff Probin, um, you know, Wade Dooley, Paul Axford, <laughs> Dean Richards. I don't remember that that that, that it, scrum. Who was it? Mike T. It was it was Winterbottom was open side, wasn't it? Um, who was the other prop? Probin. More. Who was the other prop? Uh, it'd be before Leonard. So when was no, it? Was Jason Leonard? Oh, Jason Leonard. Was it? It was. Yeah, it was oh. very young Jason Leonard. Yeah. So yeah. Um, God, forget me. I'm a few presidents' names. Uh, yeah. No. So um, uh, yeah. Um, you know, amazing, amazing that, that that a bunch of teenagers can be heavy in those days. And I know they weren't full time. Like my first job in journalism was as a was the rugby correspondent down at the Western Daily Press in Bristol, and you know I remember, you know I remember interviewing John Callum after he kicked the kicked the winning goal at, uh, at Murrayfield to, to beat Scotland, and he was, you know, I interviewed him at school on the Monday. You know, we we had school dinners together because <laughs> he was because he was a school teacher, you yeah. know, and he he trained Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I remember doing a piece once with Jeremy Guskett on Field of Glanville where you know they were having to go down the track at first thing in the morning to do a bit of extra training because bath training was Tuesdays and Thursday nights. So I, so I totally get that they've professional professionalized and you know they're training more and supplements and and, and diet and everything is massively uh, progressed you know like god you know, Nigel Redmond would you know when he was playing for Bath as, as a locker was playing for England you know he, he was a I think he was a, an electrician you know he spent spent all bloody day on his hands and knees you know yeah. and then he was and then he was playing for Bath on a Saturday you know it's a very different sport now but so you know my point is that that was the environment in the 91 team you know there's guys that worked in the city and um, you know Akfu was a policeman and you know um yeah, he was actually a school teacher at one point. He was actually taught at my school. I do wonder, you know, yeah. if rugby is fighting a losing battle against performance-enhancing drugs. Don't think there's a scandal in the professional game. I think it's very well regulated, although there might be. Uh, who knows? I do think there's some questions to be answered about the younger lads coming through. But actually, the bigger mm-hmm. question is, I think there's a very casual attitude now towards all sorts of performance-enhancing dr- drugs right at the lowest level. I mean, I've seen it. And from a guy who plays at lower level every week still, you look at some of the teams showing up at second team, some of the body shapes at second team, think, hmm, nah, that's not natural. And I think we're losing the yeah. battle because it's no longer a rarity. You don't need to go to a scientist or whatnot. You can get them almost anywhere. Everyone's at CrossFit, everyone does supplements, everyone, everyone's yeah. into this stuff now. Well, well, well you, you can't need open issued a report last week. I went to the press conference on Friday, which was... Which was about, um, you know, the abuse, the widespread abuse. I think it was, I think it was a piece in the Guardian that said over a million, at least a million users of uh, 
They, they, they call them iPads now, image and performance enhancing drugs. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So because they think one of the one of the big motivations, particularly a young among young men, is is body image. Is Definitely. looking ripped on the beach and um, looking ripped when they post their own their pictures on social media. Um, and and you know, there's massive abuse of it and, and you know but I also suspect in, in rugby, in sports like rugby that there is is pressure to, as I say, to to to, to bulk up and to uh, uh, and you know if you, if you're going to make it because it's you know the the, the, the senior guys are massive and and um, I have still have my worries about the professional game. We, I did a story a couple of years ago where I think some of the Premiership clubs had gone an entire season without being without receiving a um, um, unannounced test, you know, uh, yeah. um, what's the phrase, you know, where, 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 where they've turned up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the randomised um, tests. Uh, out of competition, out of competition test. Yeah. So how, how can that be right? You know, you know, and that comes down to, that comes down to resource and that comes down to uh, the RFU finances uh, not having sufficient resource to pay because you know, at the end of the day you have to pay. I think you have to pay UCAD to to, to, to have those tests. I think I know what um, your answer would be to this, but I mean, could you or would you be more comfortable if we just had a different standard for sports? Say, say like the NFL, where it, yeah, sure it's illegal, but we all know it's not really that illegal. Sorry, how do you mean? So in the NFL, they have a drugs testing policy, which is widely yeah. known to be more of an IQ test than an actual drugs test. And I do wonder yeah. if some of the smaller sports, bearing in mind, you know, when you watch some of the documentaries about drugs testing and how much it costs and how complex it can be and so on and so forth, I kind of think maybe we just throw in the towel and say, well, there's a different standard now and we'll do these IQ tests and that will be that and we'll enjoy a great product. No, no, because because no. Because, look, t- testing has to become more stringent and more widespread because at the end of the day, you know, as that report said on Friday, people die if they abuse this stuff, mm. right? You know, the, 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 the side effects, you know, they're talking about in that report about there being like an NHS time bomb mm. because what will happen is there will be a higher instance of kidney problems, heart problems, liver problems, cancers, because this stuff is bad for you, you know. Never mind the the like. I actually said to them on Friday, you know, thing you should target if you want to really rattle young men who are using this stuff. And I know this is the case because I've known people that have used it. You know, I, I, I you know I know people that have done steroids. Mm. You know, who just you know for, for their own for for, for the um, uh, the looking good thing, not yeah, just just for the aesthetic people. Yeah, yeah, and. One of the side effects, massive side effect, erectile dysfunction. Mm. So, you know, you get people who, who, you know, they're having to use Viagra, you know, substances like Viagra to combat the side effects of the performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, it's a tricky so, one because actually, 
you know, one of the, I think one of the biggest problems with it, and one of the biggest dangers is when you do it, you have to do it so underhand. You have no idea what you're taking, what the standards are, what the dosage should be, you know, how to, yeah. you know, you, there's no information. Yeah, that's true. It is all very much, you know, literally people watching YouTube videos to, to learn how to take it or inject it or whatever. No, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying, this, this grey market, as they call it, because one of the problems is, is, is that while it is illegal to, to um, traffic it and to, to import it, it's not illegal to possess yes. or use. So, so you know, it's class, they're, 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 they're class C drugs. You can't just open the floodgates just so look, everyone just crack on with it because people will die. Yeah. And it would just be horrific. And it's not just the physical impact of it. There are psychological issues, there are mental issues that it can cause. Everyone, you know, it's everyone knows what roid rage is. Mm. But that isn't just a loose a loose I mean, phrase. Yeah. The, 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 that, that is real. Yeah, it makes people aggressive. It it, it, it could be it, it could be a contributing factor in domestic violence. Mm. You know. These are not drugs that we should just open the doors to. I, I get that. And what actually, go on. Uh, sorry, I get that. The, 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 the analogy that I use, and it, uh, bear with me, Matt, because it is ridiculous. But the analogy that I that, that I use is, a few weeks ago, I decided I'm going to smoke uh, smoke a cigar. Bearing in mind that I've never smoked anything in my life ever, I thought, that's, that looks cool, and uh, I'll go out and buy one. Before I did, I went on the internet and researched cigars. Are they are they worse? Are they better? You know, what is what is the situation? And everything that I read about cigars and smoking was one cigarette is just as bad as ten, and then ten is just as bad, bad as a hundred. And the answer is no, just don't do it. I thought this is nonsense. I know I can have a cigar and live a full and happy life afterwards. And I think yeah. that's where we are with drugs, which is so performance enhancers, which is you know if we if. <laughs> If we sort of threw in the towel on the enforcement or we enforced it differently, we could probably get safer outcomes rather than the time bomb that you refer to. Because, like you say, they're looking on YouTube, and I'm not saying we should take it. We should be we should be trivial about it. Yeah, but we need a, a different way to look at it. I think. No, we just no. I, I disagree. We just need more investment in it. It's a joke how little we spend on it. Mm. It's a joke how little is spent generally on it. It's a massive issue. It's a massive problem, and yet. You know, there is there is obscene amounts of money swirling around in sport. And yes, the smaller sports might not be able to afford it. Yes, you couldn't turn to English netball and say, right, you've got to put in the same as the RFU. Of course not. But there needs to be a form of taxation yes. that, it, that, that corresponds to the, to the revenue in each sport. So the Premier League, even though I don't think there is a massive doping issue in the Premier League, if we want to protect the integrity of sport, the Premier League should be paying tens of millions towards doping. Right now, the UK anti-doping operates on a budget. I think they got it, certainly two years ago, it was about three million a year. Yeah. Right? You get into a couple of legal battles with a couple of boxers, you start to burn through that cash quite rapidly. Yeah. So, so it is a nonsense. There need to be more powers. There needs to be more investigative powers. You know, I remember when we did the stuff about... Um, British cycling and about, you know, concerns over medical records and stuff at, at, uh, at British cycling. UK anti-doping had to, had to alert British cycling to the fact they were coming. Really? You know? Well, you know, because I, 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 you know, I, I, I annoyed a few people by using the word raid because it wasn't a raid. But it, I, I did not realise that when, that when UK anti-doping 
testers turned out, or, or, or investigators, I should say, turned up at the National Cycling Centre in Manchester, it didn't occur to me for one second that they phoned ahead. No, it wouldn't occur to me either. Why would you do that? And that's because that's because legally they can't just turn up and say, right, we're in, we're, we're locking down your medical facility, we're having your computers. They can't do it. It's not allowed to. Interesting. Uh, Matt, um, so, so, I've just got to say this. I've, I've actually been, <laughs> I've actually got lost lost in time here. Um, I've got so carried, I've, I've got so carried away with this. I've, I've forgotten that I've got I've, that I've got a school pickup in ten minutes. <laughs> no so massive, yeah, massive, massive, bit, massive, massive, massive yeah. apologies. There is one more thing that I'd like to like to ask you though. Um, yeah. When it's all said and done, and you're looking on your office wall, I assume you've got an office study where you do some typing and whatnot. Uh, yeah. What will be the... up as a laundry, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine too. Yeah. Um, yeah. What 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 story will you have framed and 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 then mounted on your wall? Oh, blind. Oh, don't. I don't know. I don't know. Pass. Oh, never mind. No, I just no, I I, I just no. I, I'm 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 very proud to work for the Times. I'm very, I'm, I'm I like what I do. You know, I'm I'm 50 this year. If I if you know, I hope I hope I've got a few more years in me yet. I love what I do. I, I love it, and and but I am always looking at the next one. I don't really look back. I just 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 it's always about the next one. Fantastic. We're gonna have to pick this up again another time, but. In yeah. the meantime, where can we find you, if at all, on social media? And, and where can yeah, we follow Twitter, all this stuff? Yeah, uh, Lawton underscore times, I think it is. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, and in the Times, and please subscribe to the Times. Please subscribe it's, to the Times. The times. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's good value for money. It's a great product. So and I say I'm very proud to be working there. Thank you so much. I, I did tell you it'd be 30 minutes, and we're on one hour and 10 now, and I feel that we could have gone right, for an hour and 40. So uh, th- thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah. I really do appreciate it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.